morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, if you're able. We'll be reading Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun arose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, 
in one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, and in another, thirty. This is God's word. Good morning, church family. Thank you for coming out on this holiday weekend. Thank you for prioritizing the corporate worship of our Savior. We're in a series entitled Pictures of Disciple Making. And we're looking at what it looks like to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus and what it looks like to make disciples or followers of Jesus. As you heard last week, the call of Jesus is clear, right? There was no ambiguity what Jesus called his disciples into. He looked at them and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, Jesus says, listen to me, learn from me, be changed by me, and then go out and help others listen to me, learn from me, and be changed by me. That's disciple-making, just like what I just said. And that's the call of every true follower of Christ. Our mission statement as a church, we exist. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ who passionately love God and people. Fully devoted followers. That's, our, that's, the, that's, what, that's the call of Jesus. It's a high calling, I know. And listen, no one drifts into becoming a fully devoted follower. Did you know that? You, you can't stumble into that. You don't wake up one morning and be like, I'm fully devoted now. It's awesome. No, it is, it's, it's a consistent daily commitment I, we sang last week, I have decided to follow Jesus. That's not like a, oh, that's for people who are not saved. Or no, that's for every believer, every day. I have decided today to keep following Jesus. And you have to see Jesus as being worth it. That being in his kingdom, we talked about this last week, or two weeks ago, the kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom is the greatest treasure in the world, in the universe. And when the kingdom of God is that valuable to you, when you are overwhelmed by the reality that God chose you to be a part of his family, that the king died for you to rescue you, when that sinks in, then honestly, being all in for Jesus is the only thing that makes sense. It's like the guy who saw the hidden treasure. The only logical thing was to sell everything to get that field, to get that treasure. So we're looking at pictures or stories that come from the mouth of Jesus As we learn from our Savior, what does it look like? What does it feel like? Jesus, help us envision what it looks like to be a disciple who makes disciples. Today, responding to the gospel and bearing fruit for the kingdom. Matthew 13, Jesus, it says in verse 3, begins to speak to the crowds in parables. What is a parable? It's a relatable story that illustrates a spiritual truth. A relatable story that's, that's, that illustrates a spiritual truth. And when I say relatable, I mean relatable to the original audience. Most of us are not farmers. So we're like, what, what's going on here? And we'll explain that. But, but when, when Jesus is speaking, they, these stories, they could understand it. They could feel it. They, they know it's like for a treasure to be hidden underground and someone to discover it. They know it's like for farming illustrations. They know what it's like to say the light of the world, the light was, was all over the temple. They, knew, they know what these things mean. When Jesus says fishers of men, they understood that. These stories are meant to be inviting and engaging for the heart and the mind. 
But why does Jesus teach in parables here? Why in Matthew 13 does Jesus start, when he hasn't before, why does he start teaching with parables? To understand that, you need to understand the context of Matthew 13. Jesus has been experiencing intense opposition to his ministry from the get-go. His message has received pushback and opposition, especially from the religious leaders. In fact, in Matthew 12, verse 14, after Jesus heals someone, he literally heals someone. They were, they were hurting and now they're healed miraculously. And it literally says, after the religious leaders saw that, it says, quote, they went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So there are some who have rejected Jesus outright. There are many who are following him, but they're doubtful, they're skeptical. We know that because in John's gospel, at one point Jesus says a hard message and many of them just leave. They're like, I'm done. I was cool with the miracles, but not with the whole, like, we got to follow you for no matter what. And then there are some who've truly decided to follow Jesus. And so Jesus understands the rejection by many. He knew it was bound to happen. He's not the first guy who claimed to be the Messiah. And so here's the first lesson. We need to understand that God's word, and specifically here in the parables, can both conceal and reveal truth. Jesus speaks to the people in parables and he explains why, because the disciples ask him in verses 10 to 17, he speaks in parables to conceal truth and reveal truth. And he does it at the same time. Jesus gives the parable of a farmer and four kinds of, kinds of soil. And then the disciples ask, why are you speaking in parables? They're conf- Listen, they don't understand all the details. They're, in, they're, 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 they're uh, amazed by it. They're, they're invited into this parable. They know what it's like for a farmer, but they don't understand all the details. They're literally confused by a sermon of Jesus. That's comforting by all, for all of us, isn't it? If you've ever been confused by a sermon... We're in good company. It's also comforting for someone like me. Because if I preach a confusing sermon, I'm, I'm right there with Jesus. That's good. <laughs> Why parables? Verses 11 to 13. And he answered them, To you it's been given to know the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. This is, this, listen, this parable is going to be hard-hitting in some ways, okay? Just prepare for that. Jesus is saying two things here. First, parables conceal truth. From those who are unwilling to submit to Christ and his rule. Second, parables reveal the truth, illuminate the truth to those who by God's grace are submitting to Christ and his rule. Jesus sees his parables as a kind of judgment from God on those who reject him. This brings up a tension between divine sovereignty and, and human responsibility. Jesus says, basically, I'm giving it to you because I know you're going to accept it, but not to them. They're going to reject it. Is, is, is divine sovereignty at work or is human responsibility? What, what's true? Who, who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Good answer. 
Pharaoh hardened his own heart, didn't he? And at times it says God hardened his heart. Both are true. Those who are unwilling to truly listen to what Jesus has to say, unwilling to let his miracles substantiate his message, those are the ones, Jesus says, who are never going to understand the message of the kingdom because they're already rejecting him. They have literally have God incarnate in front of them and yet they've rebelled against him. They had ears, but they couldn't hear. They had eyes to see him, but they couldn't see and understand. And the fact that they were denying the obvious was evidence of God's judgment upon them. Listen, it is the condition of our hearts, not the clarity of the evidence, that keeps us from seeing the truth about Jesus. On the other hand, for those who are truly receptive to God's word, they find these parables insightful, illuminating, even if confusing. There's an openness to God's word, a desire. Help me understand more, Jesus. God, help me understand what this means and what it means for me. I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to be challenged. I want to be changed. And what that does is it allows God to do his extraordinary work of showing us who he is through his word and changing us more into his image. His word can conceal truth and reveal truth. It's the same thing. The sun can both harden clay and melt wax, can it? It's the same thing happening, but the substance is different. Jesus says in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. He's saying for those of you who are receptive, who are willing to listen, who are part of God's family, who, those whom God calls his, Jesus calls his brothers and his sisters, these, the teaching of Jesus, even the parables are going to reveal further secrets, further insights into the kingdom that he's been preaching. So those who would understand, those who are truly listening, you're going to understand who the king really is and what his kingdom is really like. So the question as we begin is, will you truly listen to Jesus? If you do, you realize even that, even, your will, even you who say, yes, I'm listening, that's God's grace at work in your life. He said, man, God, I want, I want God to do something in my life right now. I want God to show up. I need, I need God to like, you know, restart my faith. I need to, listen, if you can say, well, to my question, do you want, really want to listen to God? And you say, yes, guess what? That's a miracle. It doesn't feel like it, but it is. God has opened your eyes to see the glory of Christ for who he is because the world sees it as foolishness, but you see it as the greatest glory ever. If you've heard of the good news of Jesus and it captivates your heart, if the life and death and resurrection of the Son of God humbles you and leaves you in awe, then you can still have questions about why does God harden some? Why does he not allow some to understand? And, and we can wrestle with that, but we can still also rejoice at his kindness in giving you the gift of being able to see and hear and understand. So this parable would have been very relatable to the original audience, many of whom would have been farmers. And back in those days, farmers didn't have fancy equipment like we have today that literally do everything. They pl plow the ground, they plant the seed in the ground, they fill it back up, and they do it all perfectly from one machine. No, 
Back in those days, farmers would carry the seed in a bag or a basket or a fancy bin like this. <laughs> and they would carry the seed and th- they did what we would, this is called broadcast farming, okay? So what they would do is they would, they would take the seed, I, I did tell Russ I'd make a little bit of a mess, and you can already see, it's already falling out of my hand. But they need that. So if that's my, you know, that's the ground that I'm going to till, I'm throwing seed. I'm just going like this. Ooh. Sorry. I'm just throwing seed out, right? And some falls on the path right here, and some is already falling where I'm walking, and I'm going to trample on it by accident, but it is what it is. I got to get the seed back here. Okay? Everywhere. Maybe not on the thing right there. There we go. Okay. Oh, sorry. I see you're somewhere over there. This is called broadcast farming. You can't help it. Look, a lot of seed did get where it was supposed to go. And I know you can't see, but a lot of seed did get where it wasn't supposed to go. Sorry, guys. It is what it is. And because the farmer would not skimp, he was actually very lavish with his seed. He knows he's got to fill his whole area because the more seed he can get in the ground, the good soil, the, the greater the harvest. And so he's willing to risk a little bit of seed going that way. Guys, it's okay. It is, it is seed. You know that, right? It is. He's willing to risk seed landing here because he knows some of it will get where it's supposed to go. And his goal is produce a harvest, right? He wants, he wants to be able to eat. He wants to be able to share. So he's very lavish. He's very extravagant. Notice the seed goes everywhere in all kinds of soil. What does the sower represent? Notice he says, a sower went out with seed, verse 3. The sower represents Jesus. He says so in verse 37, past this passage, uh, later in this chapter, verse 37, he, he relates himself to the sower. But I think in this passage, because he doesn't specifically identify himself as the sower, he leaves it ambiguous, I think in part because he wants us all to see that any person who is sowing the seed of the word is the sower. Any one of us, Sunday school teacher, small group leader, parent, Christian, you are the sower. Just like Jesus is the one sowing the message. So what is the seed? Verse 19, he says, it's the word of the kingdom. Whoever hears the word, he says multiple times, the word, the seed represents the word of God, the word of Jesus going out, the message. It's Jesus' way of saying the gospel. The good news for all nations that Jesus has come to proclaim God's salvation from the grip of sin and death to be received by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That seed is the gospel. What about the soils? This is one of only two parables that Jesus actually gives us the explanation. So it's really nice. Like you're not like beating around the world like, what does that mean? What is it? Jesus tells us. The soils represent different kinds of responses to the message of Jesus. Different kinds of responses to the message of Jesus. Remember the context. Jesus is going around proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and he's performing miracles to prove what he's saying is true. You should listen to him. And yet many people have already started hardening their hearts. They're, already, they're skeptical. They're doubting. Some are simply responding to the thrill of the miracles. I want to see another miracle. And the disciples are wondering, what's going on? Why isn't everybody following you like us? 
And so Jesus explains in this parable, the problem is not with the seed and it's not with the sower, it's with the soil that it's landing on. And he says there's four different kinds of soil, four conditions of the human heart that respond to the message. Listen, everyone responds to the message of Jesus in some way. Let's look at them. Several of them are warnings. So lesson two, beware. Hardening your heart to God's word will lead to destruction. Verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and he does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Verse 4, so he sowed some seeds along the path and the birds came and devoured it. The first soil represents the hard heart. The hard heart. Jesus says this is the person who hears the word of God, hears that Jesus can forgive sin, which he claimed to do already, hears that he is God in the flesh, that he makes demands on your life that no one else can make, that he can give you eternal life. They hear that message and it doesn't take root. It doesn't change them. It doesn't draw them to Christ. In fact, it hardens them even more to the gospel. In Jesus' context, this refers to the condition of the Pharisees. They had studied the Torah their entire lives, the, the Old Testament. They, they memorized it. They were trained. They were trained in it. They were waiting for the Messiah. And here he was right in front of them. And they wouldn't listen. They couldn't listen. The evil one snatched it away. He would snatch it away. There's no chance in their heart. This is true for many people today, even in America, many who claim to be Christians. We, we see this play out, by the way, every year when we do grace gifts. We ask people about the gospel. We ask them about Jesus. We ask them about Christianity. And many of them know, know some answers to give. But it hasn't changed them. It hasn't dug root into their hearts. They don't actively follow Jesus. They can give you all the answers, but they're not following him. What does that tell us? It tells you that they've, they've, they've likely hardened their hearts to the message. They're trampled on it, or the enemy has taken the word away. It has not taken root. They don't realize it, but they actually ignore the gospel. They're ignoring it. Can I ask you, have you let the gospel take root in your own heart today? Can you say that, yes, there have been times when the Word of God has challenged you, has thrilled you, has comforted you? Or are you basically ignoring the gospel? I beg you, beware. If someone is basically ignoring the gospel in their life, it doesn't matter what they say about being a Christian or if they say they prayed a prayer when they were a kid or if they got baptized when they were five or six or whatever, they have hardened their heart. There is no salvation there. Next lesson. Watch out. A faith without roots is no faith at all. You see, the second soil represents a shallow heart. The first soil represents the hard heart, really compacted ground that, that it could not even go into the ground. Look, the, it doesn't even go in. I can, I, it just kicks right off. But the second soil represents the shallow heart. There's some soil there. It, it can go in a little bit. This is the person who hears the, verse, verse 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, 
This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet it has no root in itself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away or he's tripped up, stumbles. This is the rocky soil representing the shallow heart. This is the person who hears the message of Jesus and is initially moved by it. There's an emotional response, right? If you've ever been to camp, you know, Pastor Will probably has seen it over and over. You go to camp and they're singing their songs and you're with all your friends and everybody looks like they want to follow Jesus to the death. And, and you're like, you, raise your hand if you want to follow. Hey, everyone wants to do it, right? The piano's playing softly and people are crying and you're like, good grief, how can I not do this? And you get home and you get back to the real world and you realize like, Mom and dad are still not perfect people. You're not a perfect child. And then school's hard and you're like, ah, oh, forget it. Let me just go make a bunch of money. The initial response is not deep or lasting. He's saying that the, 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 the seed planted in rocky soil can't take the heat of the sun. Because there's no roots. So as soon as trials come, as soon as things get hard, living as a Christian, as soon as they start to lose maybe some important things in their lives, they say, forget Christianity, it's not worth it. This is hard to swallow. I know. This is G. I know a lot of us are here used to hearing Jesus, you know, you know, Jesus meek and mild. I love the sinner. I wrap my arms around people who are hurting, and he does that, but he also has a hard message. He's saying, listen, some people will receive the message of the kingdom and it will look real. It will look like they've entered the kingdom of heaven, but the sad reality will bear out. They did not enter Christ's kingdom. They were actually simply trying to get Christ to enter their kingdom. And it trips them up. Tribulation, struggles, trials. They want Jesus to be their problem solver, not their savior. Some of us want Jesus to bless us, but not to stretch us. And the moment he starts stretching us, right, when he's blessing us, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Give it to me, Jesus. I love it. Thank you. This is awesome. I thank you for the new job. Thank you for getting into school. Thank you for our friendship. Thank you for this relationship. Thank you. And then things start getting hard. Oh, great. Good grief. My friend just betrayed me. Oh, good grief. I, I, I don't have enough financial aid. Or I, I didn't get the promotion. Or I lost my job or something. Oh, man. And then he starts just stretching your faith and you're like, there's a better, there's got to be a better way. A lot of people want Jesus to be a service provider. And again, I hate to rail on TV preachers, but you can go on there and find a version of Jesus that will be a provider of services for you. And as long as he provides services, you'll be happy. But as soon as he stops providing services to meet your life goals, as soon as those things are taken away, there's no reason to follow him. Which means people who are, have shallow hearts, who don't have roots, they weren't really worshiping Jesus. They were worshiping the things that they lost. You see it? I'm talking to every, everyone from the students all, all the way on up. If we don't teach people to follow Jesus because he himself is your great treasure, not the things he gives you, because if, if, you, if you see the things he gives you as why you follow him, what happens if those things are taken away? And that will happen. Jesus says, the sun will shine brightly. It will, it will beat down on, on you in life at times. 
There was never a transfer of trust from themselves to their Savior. They've never repented. The gospel has not led to a change in their life because it didn't go deep enough. The the seed couldn't go deep enough. The rocks were in the way. Listen, evidence of faith is not intensity at the beginning. It's endurance to the end. You say, isn't it true once saved, always saved? Yes. But as one Baptist preacher put it, it's also true. Once saved, always following. Obviously, there are going to be seasons of struggle and doubt for real Christians. I've been honest with mine. But that's very different than a life that is characterized by an unwillingness to submit to Jesus as Lord. Twice in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endurance is basic Christianity. It's Christianity 101. And for us as Christians, this shapes how we share the gospel. Please, parents, Christian, don't preach a half-seated gospel. Right? Don't cut the seed in half and give one half of it. Have a clear teaching that to follow Jesus, yes, means blessing beyond measure, a treasure beyond value, but it also means enduring suffering and potentially persecution, but Jesus is worth it. We must equip others with a full gospel so that people can have faith with roots. Watch out, a faith without roots is no faith at all. Lesson four, be on guard. A divided heart will choke out faith. The third soil represents a divided heart. Verse 22, as for the one who was sown, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfaithful. This is the person who hears the word, wants to follow Jesus, but other things in life, like those thorns, begin to choke out the word, choke out the plant. The worries of this age, he says, the deceitfulness of wealth. Here's the, this, 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 this group, is, it is, it's scary. This is the most sobering group because the thing is, this is the hardest group to tell whether they're true believers or not. It's easier to tell with the first two groups, but not this one. In fact, the soil here seems good. It lets the seed take root, actually. The problem is that the soil is already occupied with thorns growing in it, and there's no room for new growth. In the second group, Jesus is not in control. But in this group, Jesus shares control with the things of this world. And so there's a division there. The the heart is preoccupied. And as a a result, that faith is going to get choked and choked and choked. And there's going to be no fruit. This is a very real danger for us, church. There's a very, very real danger Because the things of this world have a way of choking out faith. And Jesus says it's deceitful. He says he's very intentional. The deceitfulness of riches. Why use that that word? Why not just say the allure of it? He uses the word deceitful because he knows you won't be able to see it happening. We think 
I'm a parent. You know, I think I want my kids to excel. I want them to be fully rounded. I want them to enjoy activities and sports and whatever things they're involved in. But, but, but I need to be on guard that I don't see how many weekends away might be choking my faith or their faith. Or you might think I want a vacation home or a, a boat or something great. That's fine. I want to bless other people and bless my family. And that may be true. And it can do that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not knocking it. All I'm saying is, Will that be a place or that thing take the place more of your devotion than God's word will? We just have to wrestle with that. Or maybe we, you see your work is too important. It consumes your time and your thought life. You know your priorities are out of line, but you're unwilling to make any changes. We have to ask ourselves, why? Why? Do you value money too deeply? Do you value what others think, about, uh, the others think about you too deeply? Do you value the next promotion too deeply? I don't know. Students, you want to follow Jesus? Great. But that means your commitment to Him must be greater than your commitment to be accepted by your peers. Or your commitment to keep up with all your friends on Instagram or Snapchat. Your, com- your commitment to Christ must have greater priority than your sexuality. I've heard some people say, man, I'm just waiting to go off to college and I'm going to break free from the oppressive uh, sexual structure of Christianity. I'm going to break free from my parents, you know, demanding rules at home and I'm going to live freely. I'm going to do whatever I want. Okay. Let me know how that goes and the thorns start choking out faith. You think I'm going to finally be happy. I'm going to live the way I want to live. And you, you, you think, listen, we're... We, we are really, there's some hubris in the human heart. Because we think, I think I know how I could be happiest. And you're thinking, Mark, if that doesn't sound strange to you, it's because the culture's already convinced us, right? I think I know exactly what I need to make me happy. That is, a, that is ridiculous, Because I could try all I want, and you see people, you see the richest people in the world, the most successful people in the world. Listen to Madonna share her testimony of her life. The, one of the most successful people in her, in her industry, in the world, the most well-known, and she says, you know what? Every time I get on stage, I have to prove myself again because I feel worthless. What? You've just sold more copies than, are you joking? You're, you're amazing. You're rid- no, she feels like nothing. Jesus alone offers an identity that you don't have to earn a proof. Jesus alone offers a love that is better than life. But you have to come to him as savior and submit to him as king. It will be hard and it often won't make sense to others and maybe even to yourself. But this is the only way to bear fruit spiritually. The only way to, bear, to be in the kingdom of heaven is to let him produce the fruit, to submit to him, to not have a divided heart but give your heart entirely to him. No questions asked. Finally, our final lesson, be encouraged. Finally, good news. A receptive heart will bear fruit that will last for eternity. This last soil represents the receptive heart. This last person represents a true believer. Verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundred, another sixty, and thirty-fold. 
There's a receptivity to the message of God, a desire for it to spread to every corner of our heart, to bear fruit in every area of our life, no matter how hard, no matter what it costs. This is the picture of a true follower of Jesus. Notice what Jesus says, how fruitful the seed is in this soil. He said seed in this soil produces 30, 60, 100. Listen, that would have shocked the audience. Maybe the most shocking thing of all was to hear those numbers. Because in that day and age, a typical harvest would produce seven to eight times as much as they planted. That would have been great. Praise the Lord. Great harvest. If you're, if you're up to 10 times the, the fold of what you've, what you've th- thrown out, that's an amazing harvest. If you're at 20 times, that's a bumper harvest. Once in a lifetime, Jesus is like blowing it up 30, 60, 100 times back what you sowed. What's he saying? He's saying when the word of God takes root in your life, it produces miraculous fruit. Not just natural fruit, not just like I could do this on my own, but a fruit that that is beyond what you could imagine, beyond what you could do in your own power. Fruit that you couldn't produce in your own strength, the kind of fruit that shows up when you're able to forgive that person who has hurt you so deeply. Maybe the relationship is never the same again, but you're able to release them from that debt. Uh, the fruit that shows how, that, that you're generous with your resources, no matter how much God has entrusted to you, you're a conduit of blessing to, to the kingdom and to others, or your willingness to share the gospel, even though you're afraid to do it, and you feel all weird inside, and you don't know if they're going to reject you. Or like, you know, your commitment to your small group, even though it's a sacrifice, I mean, I could go on and on and on. You're showing a fruit that if it were you, you would not be able to produce it. Christian, God's word is powerful, isn't it? It can do things in your life that no one else and nothing else can. God's word taking root in your heart can bring healing from deep wounds. It can bring freedom from addictions. It can give a peace that passes understanding. It can infuse hope into a weary heart. Don't ever underestimate the power of God's word. Let me just close with these questions. What soil are you? Are you rejecting the message of the kingdom? I pray that the mercy of God would soften your heart toward Christ and his message? Is your heart shallow? Maybe you prayed a prayer a long time ago. It had no real meaning in your life today. Listen, you can receive receive Jesus today. Is your heart divided? Do you notice the things of this world, the pursuit of possessions or money, just choking out a real and vibrant faith? I invite you to humbly and joyfully Receive the message of the kingdom. Jesus can free you from guilt and shame and be a treasure to you far greater than any earthly treasure. Finally, let me say this to those of you who are followers of Christ. One of the most important ways that we bear fruit is by sowing seed ourselves. That we do the same thing that Jesus does. We sow the seed of the gospel message. Where did Jesus sow? Did he go like this? One, two, three. Oh, I missed. Uh, it got in the wrong spot. No, no, no. Only the good soil gets the seed. Did he do that? No. It, in some ways, it's kind of like, it feels, we were using, you know, 
it feels lavish and, and, and extraordinary and, and extravagant, right? Seed is going everywhere, and I'm just making more of a mess, right? Everywhere, 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 everywhere. Why? Why am I doing this? Not because it's funny, because this is what Jesus would do with the word, and this is what you should do. We don't, we don't, we don't say, ah, oh, only this person can, can, can get the message, or that person will never receive it, or at Grace Gives, we should target. No, you know what we do at Grace Gives? We do that all over. All over. It almost looks ridiculous. Wash your car. No strings attached. You don't even have to get out of the car. Well, don't you have to tell them something? Nope. Not if you don't want us to. We'll just love you. But if you ask us why, we got a really great message. (laughs) Don't stop sowing seed to your children, parents. Even if they seem like not interested or even rebelling against it. Don't stop sowing seed to your unbelieving spouse. Share in love and show the supernatural fruit that comes from that seed. Don't stop sowing seeds to your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, your family members. Let the seed of the gospel be sown lavishly and then let's trust God together to multiply it 30, 60, and even 100-fold for his glory. Amen? Amen? Let me pray. As we prepare our hearts to take communion together. Father, I pray your word would be received, that every heart would listen and understand. And if they don't understand, that they would seek greater understanding, that it would produce a fruit in our hearts, in our lives, for eternity. God, work in every believer. I pray, I pray that this is not so unhealthy doubts in believers but leads them to, to have their, strength, their faith strengthened. I pray that, that for those who may have an assurance that is unjustified that they would question and find they need a true a living faith rooted in the gospel of Christ and nothing else. That maybe even now would be the time of salvation as you soften hearts and open eyes to see, ears to hear the beauty and the glory of a king who came and became a slave, a king who didn't come to overthrow Rome, but a king who came to overthrow sin and death, a king who would die the worst death possible and then rise victoriously to prove that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you so that we can follow you, Jesus, and trust you Because come what may, you will hold us. You will be with us. Prepare our hearts to receive communion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.